Uh, Our Monday series this month is, Does the Bible Really Say? So last week we asked, Does the Bible Really Say You Have to Obey to Be Saved? And in English, obey basically means to do what you're told. So in English translation, the Bible seems to say yes in a couple places. However, the Hebrew and original Greek words typically translated obey just mean to listen and then respond appropriately. So if it's a commandment from God, yes, do as he says. But if it's a gospel word of grace and promise, just hear, receive, believe, and say your amen to that. On the way out last week, Dr. Elliot said, basically agreed, and it's all about context. That's just as true with today's message, so here he is to give it. Please welcome Dr. Elliot. Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, Let's start with the text. The text here is one that uh, is well-loved. Let's read it together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, this is an easy one. This seems very straightforward. God has a plan for you. It's a good plan. God has plans for good things to happen to you. And to uh, illustrate this, I'd like to bring forward uh, one of the most popular preachers of our age, a man named Joel Osteen. Uh, this is one of his favorite verses. If you go through his uh, Today's Word with Joel and Victoria, he covers this verse over and over and over again. So I'd like to uh, read a little... Uh, uh, devotion. This is actually the whole devotion for uh, April 15, 2015. He writes, God created you to be successful. Before the foundation of the world, he laid out an exact plan for your life. And in this plan, he has marked moments that are going to come across your path. These moments are not ordinary. They're destiny-altering moments. They're designed to thrust you years ahead. It says in Ecclesiastes that time and chance come together for every person. That means you'll have opportunities to meet the right people, opportunities to advance in your career, opportunities to fulfill your dreams. God has already prearranged times of increase in blessing. You may not be seeing a lot of good breaks right now, but be encouraged because there are seasons of favor and increase marked for your future. There are God-ordained moments planned for you. Don't miss out on these moments. Don't get distracted by your circumstances. Focus on removing the clutter from your life so that you can hear his voice. Approach today with an attitude of faith and expectancy so you can embrace the God-ordained moments in front of you. So does the Bible say this? It sounds great. It's very positive, very wonderful. The only problem is it doesn't sound a thing like the Hebrew prophets. Most of all, it doesn't sound a thing like Jeremiah. Have you ever read Jeremiah before? Jeremiah is the most negative of all the prophets. He's the weeping prophet. For that matter, it doesn't sound thing like Ecclesiastes. We won't get to that today. I can only imagine this would be Jeremiah's expression. You see, Jeremiah is a prophet who's always at odds with the other prophets of his day. There's other people who claim to speak for God, and these other prophets would say, God has good plans for you. They'd say that God has intentions that you will be free from Babylon, that God is going to destroy the evil Nebuchadnezzar and raise up a faithful people in Judah. And Jeremiah says, that's great. I would love that to happen, but that's not God's message for you. 
he over and over again says that these preachers are peddling false hope. I could give you dozens of examples, but here's one. Uh, Jeremiah uh, 23, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions from their own minds and not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It will be well with you. To everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster will come upon you. Now you might say, well, that's Jeremiah 23. Maybe by 29 he's changed his tune. Well, just a few verses after our text for today, Jeremiah denounces the prophet Shemaiah, saying that Shemaiah is a false prophet because he preaches an end to exile when the end of exile will not come for 70 years. Here's his verdict on Shemaiah. He says, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalam and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among this people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord. For he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. Yeah, uh, this is, Jeremiah is not a prosperity preacher. Jeremiah is not preaching feel-good times. He's opposing those kinds of guys. Now, I didn't come here just to dunk on Joel Osteen. Though it was a lot of fun, I'll do it one more time. Uh, Joel Osteen launches line of pastoral wear, sheep's clothing. This is satire, it's from the Babylon Bee, but I think Jeremiah would agree with this assessment. This, this is wrong. This is completely wrong-headed to think about God only in terms of what he can give you. And so, let's get past Osteen, though, and talk about how this seeps into our own thinking. Because I've, I've noticed it even in my own ideas, that these ideas that God has a plan for me, and that plan is a good plan. And so, well, what is it? How do I discern God's plan? How do I figure out the plan? Somewhere out there is the perfect woman for me. How do I know if I found her? Somewhere out there is the perfect job for me. How do I know if I found it? And this is a lot of worry, a lot of pressure to try to discern God's will, not to live against God's will, but live with God's will. This is not how Jeremiah is thinking either. And so to really get into this, we need to talk context. It's amazing, context fixes almost everything. Uh, let's actually read the rest of Jeremiah 29 and understand what this has to say. So this is part of a letter. This letter is written by Jeremiah living in Jerusalem to the exiles living in Babylon. So to put in uh, history, uh, the Babylonians take over in 605 BC and are ruling Judah. In 598, the Judeans rebel and Babylonians come and conquer Jerusalem and they take prisoners, captives. Basically saying, if you want to see these people again, behave yourselves. Well, then they don't behave themselves. In 587, they rebel again, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes down hard on Jerusalem and wipes the whole city out and deports everyone. So this is set between those two deportations. So after the first group has been taken to Babylon, but before the second group. And the message here is that these people living in exile have had lots of things told to them about what God is doing and what God's plans are. And Jeremiah is going to set straight for them what God's plans actually are for them. And as we go through this, I want to focus on a word. Uh, this word is very important, the word shalom. We talked about shalom before. Shalom is translated peace. It also means hello or goodbye, like aloha. But shalom in this case uh, is the more proper meaning of the word, well-being. Shalom is when everything is right. Nothing is missing. All is complete. Everything is as God wills it. That is shalom. 
And shalom's not a big word in Jeremiah. Here's a big example here. He says it twice, in chapter 6 and chapter 8. He says, these false prophets who preach in uh, prosperity, they heal the fracture of my people as though it were not serious. Shalom, shalom, they say, when there is no shalom. He compares them to quack doctors. Imagine going to a doctor, this massive compound fracture, things are sticking out of the skin, and the doctor says, ah, oh, put some ice on it, elevate it, I'll see you in a couple weeks. No, that, that's medical malpractice. And Jeremiah's saying this is spiritual malpractice, to tell people all is well when all is not well. So let's keep this in mind as we see his message for these exiles. Uh, let, let's read this text together. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. She's saying, settle down. Put down roots in the community. Live at peace in Babylon. And this sounds really strange. These people want to fight back. They want to resist. They want to revolt against Babylon. He's saying, no, settle. In fact, these very things uh, are identified in Deuteronomy 20 as things that would exempt you from military service. If you just got married or just planted a vineyard or just bought, built a house, you're exempt from military service. So he's saying, there's no need to go to fight here. Uh, exempt yourselves. Live the peaceful life instead. And this is the crazy thing. He says that you should pray that God will give shalom to Babylon. He says you should pray that you and your vocations can bring about shalom in Babylon. Because this is how God is going to bless you. God will bless you through Babylon. And this seems completely bizarre. Then he turns and he turns to the enemies. Here's what he says to the enemies. Let's read together. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Making very clear, don't listen to these other guys saying to fight. You are to settle down. And why? Well, here's the answer. Let's read this together. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will deal with you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for shalom and not for calamity, to give you posterity and hope. Notice what God's plans are. God's plans here involve 70 years of living as deportees in a pagan land. God's plans involve bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar, the most heinous of pagans. God's plans involve burning the city of Jerusalem to the ground, including God's holy temple. God's plans involve the king of Judah rotting in a Babylonian dungeon with his eyes gouged out. But these, God says, are plans of shalom. These are plans of shalom because God is working on something much bigger here. And he points to posterity and hope. 
I'm retranslating this word, a future. The word usually means children. That the idea is, these are promises for your children. In other words, the people he's addressing will not live to see this happen. They will die with these promises yet unfulfilled. But their children, or their grandchildren, they might see these things fulfilled. The idea is that they trust the Lord. They trust that this is for shalom and not for calamity, even though the evidence might go against that. And isn't this how it always is? I mean, look at Abraham. God gave Abraham promises, and how many of those promises were fulfilled in his own lifetime? None of them. The great nation, later. Uh, Inheriting the land of Canaan, later. Blessing for all peoples, later. But, uh, but Abraham dies in faith, trusting that those promises will be fulfilled. And isn't that our life too? We also live with promises that won't be fulfilled in our lifetimes. That God has promised to perfect us. We won't see that till after death. God has promised to uh, be in perfect communion with us. But that won't happen until after our death. And so, how do we live in this tension? The tension between experience and promise. The way we live looks different than what God has said we will have one day in him. I think a very helpful thing is one of Jeremiah's contemporaries, the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk's looking at the same situation. He's looking at uh, Babylon ascendant and the people of uh, Judah oppressed. And he asks, God, what are you doing? And God says, wait for it. Here's his words. He says, The vision is yet for the appointed time. It is a witness for the end. It cannot deceive. If it tarries, wait for it. For it will actually come about. It will not delay. God's answer is, I am doing something. And when I do it, you'll be so amazed. You'll say, God, you are good and gracious. God, you are just and fair. Everything is right. But for now, we wait for it. And so how do we wait? Well, Habakkuk has a wonderful verse here. He says, the righteous one will live by faith. That this is what faith is. Faith looks at our circumstances and sees instead the nature and character of God. Sees what's going on and says, I know that God will keep his promises because that's the kind of God he is. And this is what we're getting to in our first song today. Uh, Even in the hardest part, I believe and I will follow you. This is most clearly seen in the cross. Because in the cross of Jesus Christ, it looks like shame, but it's actually glory. It looks like suffering, but it's actually God reconciling the world to himself. It looks like defeat, but it's actually victory over sin and death. This is the amazing thing, that we encounter Christ in weakness. And we see that in his weakness, we are strong. You see, Jesus is the only true and lasting source of shalom. Uh, If we want to look at another prophet, Prophet Micah talks about this. He says, the king that will be born in Bethlehem, that's Jesus, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be shalom. Christ is our shalom. So let's just look one more time at our original text And think about Christ as our shalom. Christ is the one who makes us well. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for shalom and not for calamity. To give you posterity and hope. God's plans for you are Christ's plans. His plans for you are much, much bigger than just 
health and wealth. His plans involve making you his child by reconciling the world to himself. His plans are conforming you into his image that you, in your weakness, will show his glory and strength. His plans for you involve unleashing all that you can be, much more than just success. I'm talking about life eternal. And so this is the message Jeremiah has for us. Not something we have to discern, but something God has demonstrated to us in the nail-scarred hands of his son. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you have Christ plans for us. Plans that look weak, plans that look like defeat, but plans that are ultimately about the reconciliation of the world and about our uh, part in your family. Please encourage us so even when experience contradicts your promises, we cling all the more strongly to your word. In your name we pray, amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord.